Dan, thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Thanks very much for having me. I've been a big fan of the podcast. So yeah, it's really cool to get on and have a chat. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. I uh, well, thanks for listening to the podcasts before this one, and uh, happy to have you on. So, what's been happening recently? Anything exciting? What's been going on? Um, lots and lots of writing a record. So I'm just at the final stages of, of releasing a record. So I'm at that kind of the bit where the creativity is kind of done. Um, and now you're doing a lot of like sanity checks and spreadsheets and, and getting in touch with folks. So that's been taking up quite a bit of time. And um, I'm doing a bit of rehab on a knee injury, which we'll <laughs> probably oh, get no. to at some point as well. Rubbish. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I've been really busy. So just uh, trying to enjoy the, the time that I've got with all these things. Yeah. Good, man. Um, so this this record, uh, you are on, is it on your own? Right yeah that? pretty much yeah so it's um it's a project called lift and the record is called there is beauty in everything and um yeah i mean it's kind of like a thing i've been trying to work on for years now and um yeah finally kind of had the time the resources and the, the kind of right headspace to kind of get to it and i've got some really amazing collaborators i've got um adam betts he's like a super phenomenal drummer that's known for like tons and tons of great bands um, so he's on a track. I've got Ian Masiak from Machine Drum and uh, Headspace app. He does a lot of the ambient sounds on that. Yeah, cool. Um, and then a good friend of mine from the Marnell. So yeah, I've kind of like chucked together um, like seven tracks that kind of summarize and sum up a lot of the things that I've been trying to communicate musically for the last like a yeah, bunch of years. Uh, my primary sort of touring has been with a band that are really like fast and violent. And uh, it's been quite a... A limiting sort of thing creatively I've loved it but I've not really managed to be as creative as I would have liked so I kind of just went off on my own for the last year and and kind of created this um fairly experimental album to be honest yeah I had a little listen earlier it sounds class and uh it's really I really like I'm more into heavier music alternative music but uh, I love that type of music just for total you know relaxing chilling out um definitely has uh, its time and place uh, in my life so yeah it sounds great but we'll talk about that kind of later but your guitar aren't you in your band yeah primarily guitar yeah that's um what my kind of last like 10 years of touring have pretty much been um kind of started out doing pop session work um and then that kind of turned into a bit more sort of experimental into the kind of um post-rock post-metal kind of world uh, and then into the kind of like power violence grindy kind of thing and yeah, my main sort of touring act is Frontier now, but it was like Section before that and then Frontier now. And that's kind of in the vein of like Meshuggah, um, Carbomb, uh, Conjurer. Yeah, just big, fast and smashy riffs. Yeah, much. again, I listened to I listened to, to that as well on Spotify and it's it's awesome, man. It's oh, really, really good. I didn't, you know, had four albums or something, is it? Um, so we've got uh, two full lengths and then like an EP kind of thing called The Collapse. And then we've just finished our new record, Oxidized, as well. So that'll be out um, at the tail end of the year. But that's there's a lot of hush-hush about that just now, I think. <laughs> a class, man. Well, I saw it as um, described as uh, something terror. <laughs> uh, sonic terror, I think, oh, a noise yeah. terrorist. We've been called a few oh, times. Okay, that's amazing. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very but, aggressive. <laughs> so that's not your, your you're not... You're, you do have a job out with music, am I right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's, it's kind of like I've tried to like amalgamate a bunch of things. So I spent about five years 
being like a, an artist manager, tour manager, touring guitarist, um, and I ended up finding myself um, managing one of my favorite bands. Was, so that's actually how I met a couple of our, our mutual friends. I ended up managing a couple of local ones. Uh, one of them was Halo Torah. That's how I met Chris, yeah. that, that you know as well. Um, and that kind of like scaled up to managing. And so I watched you from afar, really big Irish um, or Northern Irish, I should say. Yeah, no then. Um, instrumental band. And that was amazing. So I did that for like, like four or five years. And then um, I just burnt myself out. I, I was kind of at that point where I was like lecturing a little bit touring a little bit and doing like 10 things and I kind of realized I had to just like do one thing really well um or a couple of things really well instead of 10 like you know at 50 percent capacity yeah and um just like a bunch of stars have aligned and the and the lecturing job up in Aberdeenshire came up for music so um, it still allowed me to tour with Frontier, still gives me like three months of the year to do that. And then it also lets me just like be really creative and not have all the financial stress of running a business. Like, as you know, being self-employed, running a business, it just never stops. There's literally yeah. not a minute of the day that you don't think about it. And after like five years of that and um, my wife having quite a lot of stress as well, with, like managing me as an absolute disaster of a human <laughs> um, that ended up uh, with yeah being offered this incredible job in a place that I love uh, really like rural and coastal at the same time so it kind of mixes all the things I've been trying to find for years in music like self-employed wise but then I got a good offer to kind of make it happen without too much risk. Awesome I mean you know you must still be pretty busy if you're working as a lecturer <laughs> in a band and also writing your own solo music and oh, record- recording it and all that and you have a yeah. wife and you have kids. <laughs> no kids no, no kids. Uh, pets <laughs> no i've been desperate to get a dog man honestly I've, I've just been so so desperate for a dog but um yeah i've i've got so many plates spinning i've yeah. also i'm doing a master's uh, degree through work as well which is also like what really the hell? My, my time, so, <laughs> yeah. i mean it, to be honest like what's happened in the last year i suppose it's a good thing to be so busy mm-hmm. um, definitely um I've, I've never been like I guess it's since my mid twenties, I, I can't really do the like in kind of idle thing, and I I now know where the kind of tipping point is when I'm doing too much, and I'm I'm kind of just I'm teetering on the edge now. But um, yeah, I, I like to be productive. I like to get things done. I like to kind of like create a future that's better than the kind of present one that I'm in, and I need to do all the things I'm doing to make that happen. So. Yeah, yeah. Like when when I uh, since the day I stopped drinking years ago. Um, I've had to be non-stop on the go. Like I can't stop and not do anything because it just is not good for me. So, you know, I found myself last March where going from working stupid hours in the week and training in stupid hours in the week to, you know, working online for a couple hours a day. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, it really took a massive toll on my mental health. Um, so obviously I'm, bit, I'm busier now and, and, and it's a lot better now, but yeah, sooner I can get back to work, the better. But at the same time as well, obviously there's people who have been so busy during lockdown and seeing people going to the park when it's a nice sunny day and not working, you're probably sitting there thinking, fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I do. I think it's more like the nights that I get like that because you know, most people have like a normal functioning sort of life. Their evenings are like all chill, but it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like, teaching and tutoring full-time during the day and then in the evenings I'm either like doing production work or planning a release or studying or writing an essay or something like that so yeah I think that's when all my kind of jealousy kind of gripes come out (laughs) I mean I I can't be jealous I've I've got you know I'm so fortunate I've got an amazing job I live in the middle of nowhere no neighbors beautiful house and I'm writing a record in a like a Bonnevere style in middle of nowhere like it's perfect it 
but you know that that does sometimes have its kind of limitations with how much i can give to that as well it does get a bit tiresome but do you have a day where you do absolutely nothing i try to do that now yeah i've got like some sort of like um well-being practices that i try to kind of keep present in in my kind of day-to-day life so yeah i try and find like three times during the day where i can just kind of like do a quick micro meditation and just kind of um run through like a series of um kind of breathing techniques and stuff and then i usually try and have one day usually a sunday where i just do just nothing either walking or like limited time on a screen um but uh, yeah, I've got quite a regimented like exercise routine as well that kind of helps with like my day-to-day sort of stuff as well. For sure. So uh, you're a lecturer, I'm assuming lockdown has kind of changed how that would work. And Big time. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of adjusting for like technology and resources that students have and like trying to make something that's ultimately really practical, like trying to make that fun without being in the same room as someone is quite difficult. So like giving singing lessons or guitar lessons or trying to talk about like um, like legal contracts for signing label deals over <laughs> Skype is yeah it's pretty challenging but um, yeah I'm I think I'm doing not too bad I'm I'm keeping students entertained to some extent so they seem to be enjoying it awesome so um, we talk about a lot of things on this podcast but the main ones being you know fitness training health mental health and obviously with yourself a lot of that kind of ties in so mm-hmm. you know going back to when you were a lot younger you said that you were you know living quite an unhealthy lifestyle and you were overweight mm-hmm. can you just kind of um you know tell us a bit about that and how and how that was for you as a, as a yeah kid? yeah definitely it, it's a pretty like lengthy thing i'll try and keep kind of concise <laughs> so it's just not me talking for 10 minutes but yeah. um yeah so i i was born in scotland and then um moved to south africa when i was really young like under a year old and i lived there until i was about seven or eight with my family so my initial sort of experience of like life was that you're always outdoors you're always at the beach or you're always like playing sports and, and that's a really amazing way to grow up but then we moved to um aberdeenshire when i was about seven or eight and um scotland's very different to south africa if you'd believe it or not um and so yeah i had to really get used to quite a shift in the way that um i kind of like grew up from there to to scotland and then it's not so like um passively encouraged here like everything you know when you live in places like australia or um new zealand or south africa you're just outdoors more in general so naturally you walk more you're in the water more your your body's more active so yeah changing that to basically watching tv as a kid and then not really doing much exercise other than like your standard p stuff um i had like a really detached relationship with any sort of sports basically from then until like I was in my mid twenties, but yeah, effectively I just kind of got fairly chubby, fairly overweight. And then um, we got into high school. I've got a twin brother that's that in school was extremely sporty and he had like all the like school awards and stuff for, um, for all the sports, you name it, he held a record or won whatever it was. So I, as a twin, you're always compared, no matter what happens, every walk of life, you're, you're compared, are you as good yeah. as them at this thing? So I just got so sick of that. So that I've, I kind of found music and he found sports and um, like politics was his thing. So I just detached from it, got kind of like, felt like there was no need, but I had quite a fast metabolism as a teenager. And then um, I got to uni and that changed big time because I I found booze and I found pasta and I just got like really overweight. And um, I guess because, I mean, I started uni in 2007 and I think back then there was a lot less sort of um, 
kindness for mental health illness in general but particularly in men and I, I didn't realize it at the time but like looking back now I was obviously extremely depressed and had a lot of anxiety issues that I'd never really I didn't really have a good relationship with my parents either at that time so I was just kind of like I'll just cover it with like going out six nights a week and being the party guy sort of thing and I kind of that was my role like I, I mean I, I was the worst student ever I don't even know how I passed uni but I yeah basically just did did it so that I could socialize and, uh, and party and stuff and then so I guess like over that whole spell of like high school into uni um like my family have like a quite a big like history and um like heart attacks and cancer and ailments and strokes and suicide and all these kind of things so I think that was always kind of just like festering in the back of my mind um and then when I got to my last year at uni I went through like a really bad breakup that I guess just like triggered a whole bunch of stuff I hadn't been looking after myself I was like overweight I had no like real career prospects and my best friend his um his brother-in-law owned a landscaping business up here in Aberdeen. I went to uni down in Glasgow and he was like, why don't you just like come up here? I'll get your job for the summer and just like see what happens after that. And it was really good advice because it just gave me that breathing space just to be a bit like, yeah, I'm just going to try a new chapter in my life for a wee bit and, and see what's up. Um, but at that time, my parents broke up as well. And I was just like, oh man, <laughs> this is one of those summers where things just going to keep going wrong. Um, but this, this landscaping boss that we had was really, um, kind of unforgiving in a lot of ways and I kind of needed a bit of like a parental figure at that point and so like he is a triathlete himself and uh, he could see that I had like I had a bit of heart and that I wanted to like prove myself in something but I didn't really know what and so yeah he was basically like showing me no mercy like I wasn't fit enough to be a landscaper and to like like basically it was hard landscaping so it's effectively like building walls doing stonemason work and then um yeah sculpting out gardens and loads of heavy lifting pretty much and so yeah he was kind of like he just put me through the ringer yeah spent three months just getting me in shape showing me like how to run properly and um kind of got my head straight um in in a way that I, I didn't expect at all and I was like going through like a, a fairly big sort of like family sort of situation with like I said my parents broke up but my my dad at the time was extremely suicidal and it was like a very like thin line between like I guess at some point it became a bit like emotional abuse really and then me just kind of separating that like separate myself from that whole situation and um, at that point I started running like I'd, I'd basically do landscape shifts for like 12 hours a day and then I'd go running like maybe 7 to 10k at night and I also worked in a nightclub at that time um, so I was wor working nearly 70 hours a week still trying to like just uh, keep fit as well and again in retrospect that's obviously me just like blocking out my real life by filling all the time with distractions yeah and um and yeah so I just I got super super in shape in those like six to seven months between finishing uni and then um this breakup where I was just like man I need to just book a ticket somewhere and sort my life out so yeah at that time when I was working all those crazy hours and really getting into health and fitness and and kind of looking at uh, triathlete sort of stuff um this best friend that got me the job with the landscaper moved out to Oz as well and uh and I just kind of copied him again <laughs> and he just like he set me up with a place to stay and, uh, and he got me a landscaping job outside of Sydney and um, yeah so at that point I was kind of like this is the life that I want I want to be healthy and happy and fit and not struggle and be embarrassed and like I want I wanted some sort of pride in my life I think before I was just like 
I, I was kind of embarrassed about every part of my life, like the way that yeah. I was, like the family stuff that was going on, breakup, um, like my lack of ability to even like dig a hole with a shovel, like stupid basic stuff like that, real self-punishing sort of thinking. Um, and then, so that was a pretty good sort of beginning of a self-improvement journey that has, I guess it never ends, but it's yeah, for sure. con- continued quite, um, quite heavily since then. I think that was a changing point for a big part of my life. What, what age were you when you moved? And so I went to Oz when I, I had my 22nd birthday in the July and then I went out in the November and I was out there for a year. Yeah. Okay, cool. So what about some kind of numbers in terms of like, or just a, just a description of like your kind of change you went through in terms of like your body and stuff? Yeah, good question. So at my heaviest, when I was in uni, I was like 100 kilos. So um, I don't know what that is in stone, but definitely too much for a guy that's six foot one. Um, so yeah, I was just massive belly, no yeah. cardio, uh, never saw the inside of a gym. And I, I probably did actually have a bit of a drinking problem um, because at uni, you kind of just like palm it off as, oh, we're students, you know, it's fun to go get hammered at two o'clock on a Tuesday. And it's, it's not, you know, when you're 21, 22, that's not actually that's a problem that's that's yeah. not socializing anymore so um I, yeah it took me a long time to kind of like realize that i think and yeah i think it's only really in the last like five years i've kind of had a better relationship with booze but uh, i i admire so much your your story and the way that you've really changed your life for that because i think that's something a lot of people could really you know their their lives if they just like weren't shackled to this idea of having to have alcohol in their life i think they would probably be better off for it i think i think that's what this that's exactly what you said there it's like at that age if you're at uni or college or even if you're just working but if you're in your 20s it's almost like you can't have a problem you're just young and it's normal (laughs) and it's okay because we all are young once we're only young once and we'll grow out etc but I think you know deep down there's a different there's there's obviously a difference between those who take it a bit too far, but don't let it ruin their life and their mental health to an extent where it's, you know, seriously having neg- serious negative impacts on them. And then there's obviously the others that do. And, you know, for me, I was just lucky enough that I kind of made that decision and realized that at, you know, 24 years old, mm-hmm. that it was time to, that, that it was a, a proper problem and I had to change it because if I just listened to certain people and carried on thinking I'll grow out of it when I'm 30 or 35 you know I'd, I would be a 35 year old alcoholic that's not yeah. not living this life that I do at the moment and, and and you know everything would just be crazy different if I'd even still be here so yeah I think that's a major problem um you know being that young um if it, you know it's getting out of control but it's just not really recognized as a problem definitely and i think it's also like, like you said the circles that you're around like i was around people that thought the same so yeah. you know there's never any sort of like challenging figure in your life yeah but um i mean 24 is young to to make that decision Mo- most people that you kind of come across that hit the big sobriety button they're in their 30s they've realized you know 10 years after they probably should have yeah for sure exactly and you know i uh I've had alcoholism in my family and I think that was a major thing for me because I was like, you know, I don't want to be, you know, the 40 year old at the family party that's wrecking things and like making Mm -hmm. an arse of himself or like losing his kids or losing his job, you know, when when I'm 40, 50 years old because I've got a drinking problem when I knew 
at 18, I had a drinking problem and I could have sorted yeah. it out. So, so yeah, it's, it's such a hard thing because like, you know, for me, I, again, I knew at 18, 19, but I didn't properly admit it to myself or others until later on. And um, I still, you know, I still get it to this day. Oh, you couldn't have had a, you couldn't have had a problem. You know, you were just young and you're out of control. You cannot have a beer now. And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's like, work like that. not yeah, at all. Like you know, it's like, um, for me, if it's, you know, addictions don't go away, they get stronger when mm. you're when you're not doing them um and if i was to go back now nine years later i'd probably it would probably be worse <laughs> than it was yeah. because it's been so long without it but um but yeah going back to yourself man like um do you feel like um alcohol was impacting your life just in a, in a negative way did you cut it out completely yeah i mean it definitely was impacting in a negative way and much like you i've i've got a history of alcoholism in my family as well and um unfortunately with both my parents so it's like a very very close sort of um yeah it's a weird thing i mean I, at the time i i actually never cut out drinking for more than like a few weeks at a okay. time when i was that age because i i just relied on it too much like i, I absolutely did and um and I kind of just used it as a way to just like blank things out that were going on, I suppose. And yeah, like I said, I think it's only in the last five years that I've really managed to kind of get that really a bit more under control. I think part of the issue is, is that I've got a really um, like obsessive personality. It's not an, addic an addictive personality because I don't do things to, to cope. But if I'm like writing a record, for example, I'm, I'm not going to just do half a record and then be like, oh, I'll come back to that in a year. Like it, I'm obsessed with that thing for months and months and months until it's done. Uh, same with running, same with surfing, same with tattoos. It's like I've got like uh, a threshold that I need to get to with the things that I'm obsessed with. And uh, and yeah, if, if you're fond of partying, then that also falls into that category. But yeah, now, I mean, I can like normally I'll go two or three weeks without really drinking, maybe have a beer uh, and then there'll be a weekend where I'll have a few beers and, and that's fine. That's enough because now I've got the kind of like self control and self worth and like, I know what I should and shouldn't do with it. And it's usually a good indicator that my mental health's on a downward spiral if that starts to change. So if I get to like a Wednesday or a Thursday and I'm like, Oh, I'll just have a beer tonight. That's usually the first thing that says to me, you have stress that you need to resolve. And, that, and that's awesome. Like, you know, the fact that you can recognize that and the fact that you can still have alcohol in your life, but not let it kind of go out of control every time you do it. Or, mm -hmm. sorry, I'm just, I just noticed a Ryan in the Dear background, cat. like staring, <laughs> staring me down, man. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's really, that's really awesome. But I, going back as well to what you said when you were at uni, um, I was the exact same when I moved, I moved out at 18, I was working, I tried college for six months, music actually, but I was just too, my drinking was just too out of control and I was never making classes and I never finished even one year, but um, I, at that point, I don't even think I knew what mental health was, I don't think I, no one talked about it, um, social media wasn't really a thing we had myspace but that was more for kind of bands and right. um yeah. than, than anything else and uh yeah i just didn't have a clue about mental health or what it meant or but but i again looking back you know serious issues there back then yeah. and um, yeah, you know mo most of it stemming from alcohol but again at the time i just thought well I'm hungover and I feel like shit, so I need to start drinking again <laughs> or, exactly, or something yeah. like that. Um, I used to have a really bad sort of cycle of, of being really hungover and then eating the most disgusting crap the next aye. day. <laughs> and then like the day two of the hangover would then be, all right, now I can have a beer again. That's given yeah. me like, I'm allowed now. That's the one day sort of 
like boundary. Yeah, and I think I always I I wonder like if I was if I was born what ten years later or or whatever it is, and I was growing up. You know, when I got into so I when I was in school, I was okay in school. I got decent standard grades, but then fifth year came and I got into music properly in a band and drinking, and you know, like school school fell fell right away. Left school. Um, and just you know boozing and all I cared about was like being in a band but I think I wonder I always wonder what it'd be like if I was born later and I was doing it now if I was that age now mm-hmm. with, with the, the more awareness of mental health and social media or you know alcoholism or anything would I would it be different I don't know what do you what, that's that's a really interesting point I've never actually thought about that but um I it gave me a flashback to a time when I was at uni and it's funny because now I'm like a, a proper mental health advocate I've done work with NHS for breathing space I've, I've done multiple podcasts on mental health and it's like a really really big part of my life but I, I remember at uni in first year um someone talking about depression I, I can vividly remember myself saying depression doesn't exist that that's not real and like I think it's important to recognize that you can come in like full circle from that situation and really realize like how um, how untrue and, and also just like uneducated people can be to that sort of thing. And that wasn't long ago. I mean, that was only like 10 years ago. So yeah, um, like I'm 32 now and yeah, I must've been like 20, maybe 20, 21. And, um, and yeah, I, I think I just had to experience it all firsthand to really be like um, yeah, gracious enough to realize that it's extremely true. People face it in different ways, and and there's numbers of ways that people can work through it. And um, and yeah, I, I wish that I would have had that when I was younger because, um, I mean, even to to go see a counselor in my mid twenties, I had like a really big breakdown, maybe about 27, 26, 27. and um, even at that age to go see a counselor and my GP and stuff like that broke me just to even go to that step to talk to a stranger about it. And I, I just never would have done it in that initial place in my life in my early twenties. But I think having that on hand, like you said, imagine being 18, 19, 20 and going to like an adult and saying, listen, I think I'm drinking too much. I'm really low for weeks at a time. I feel really anxious when I pick up the phone, like what, what should yeah. I do? And I'm like, you're like my age, I think roughly 31, 32. Just a little bit older. <laughs> but, okay, either way. So you'll know, you'll know the exact, yeah. Same deal though. Like yeah, you, yeah. you wouldn't have had those things on hand. And yeah. yeah, maybe your life would have been I mean, obviously your life has gone really well as things have turned out, but you know, if they hadn't, you know, there's a lot to answer for there. Yeah, no, for sure. I think I was like quite um so so I ended up working in a bank because my dad worked in a bank and I got I got a job in the bank through him essentially. Um I wasn't ready for it, but you know, I was like I needed to make more money. Um, and I wanted more money so I could party more <laughs> and drink more. Um, but uh, yeah, so when I was working there, obviously my dad was there and high up there. And uh, I think I was like embarrassed to ever say anything just because I, f- I didn't know the reaction I would get from like him, for instance, of co-workers who were in their 40s, 50s and stuff. So it was always like making excuses and um, you know, saying everything was fine when really I'm sitting there, you know, half half cut, you know, in the office or whatever. And um, but when I actually, when it got to a point where I couldn't hide it, uh, and my, you know, and I got confronted by my dad, and I and I and I spoke how I felt and told him exactly everything. All all, all it was was 
how can I help you? It was no anger or shouting or like disowning yeah. me, which I thought which I thought would happen. So obviously, if I knew that years before, you know who knows. But yeah, I think things are definitely different now. Um, and there's so much awareness of mental health now, and especially on like social media. And you know, I, I work, do work with a clothing company whose aim is to get you know the word out of you know ending the stigma about talking about mental health. And yeah, yeah it's, I really it's enjoyed awesome. that episode with with Kyle and yeah. Be Defiant. I thought it was a really good listen. Yeah, it was. Uh, he's he's running. He's doing an awesome thing there, man. And I'm really, really glad to be a part of it. So, um, where were we? So you moved to Australia. You had kind of made the lifestyle change at that point. Yeah, that that's when I was definitely kind of getting um, like health and fitness as a, a major part of my life instead of just like being a kind of booze hound yeah. so yeah and uh and yeah when i moved to australia i saw so much of what i had in south africa like they're just outside all yeah. the time like I've, like i lived honestly less than 50 meters from a beach when i first moved there in a place called manly just outside sydney and um yeah i was like either playing volleyball surfing or working landscaping all day and i was just so so in shape um and this this best buddy of mine that's going to come up quite a lot <laughs> in this episode he um he's a semi-professional cyclist now but at that time me and him were doing kind of like duathlon stuff so doing a lot of running and swimming on this kind of like circuit that we had amazing. and um it was amazing I, I absolutely loved it and it just like i think i also needed a real big positive shift in my life at that age too because kind of like you were saying there like i can really see my life having gone in a very different way and not having left glasgow that first time after uni just being stuck there and like my a lot of my family are still around glasgow so i probably just would have stayed there turned into like a fat drunk no hope and just terrible outcome uh, inevitably but um yeah having that big shift and kind of seeing that there is a bit of hope and that you can do things and yeah, I mean, I, I didn't, you know, I'm not from a family with money. I've never had that of like poverty has been a big part of my life. I went to Australia with 500 quid in my bank and a one-way ticket. And that's all I needed to kind of set myself up to be like, yeah, you can absolutely like do something good with your life. And so having like that positive reinforcement, having like a good sort of like fresh start over there kind of gave me that confidence to, to just really like try hard. Like I, I think something people are really scared of is just trying your best at something because in Scotland, we've got a really bad habit of being like, just like shitting on people that are trying to do something. Like it, it's the same in Northern Ireland. They've got oh, yeah. like the same sense of humor and it, it's just like, it's a real shame because I think it does actually like impact people more than they think. Like um, I used to work with a band Pronto Mama that um, some of the guys in Father, Son and uh, Martin and Rukovi, a bunch of those guys were in. They used to have a saying that was like, never try. And it's like, that's kind of funny because in the context it was funny, but in the reality, it's like, nah, that, like, that is the Scottish mentality. Never try. Oh yeah. And, man. Uh, yeah. As soon as I dropped that, um, I started achieving really big things in, in my life that I, I never thought I could have done. So um, so yeah, basically changed up that big lifestyle thing, got that going, um, moved around Australia for a bit and uh, randomly met my wife in Melbourne. She was living in the same hostel that I stayed in. Um, we just got chatting one night, really like romantic kind of <laughs> long story. Ten years later, we're married and, and all this That's stuff. That's awesome. But, um, yeah, really, again, one of those things where I was like, yeah, this is like one of those like life universe moments where you're kind of you've been led there in some fashion like that that's like no accident that that happened yeah for so, sure so yeah it's the around. same i i totally agree with that like i stopped boozing two months before my dad died and i'm like that was that that had to have been there's a reason for that man because if i hadn't <laughs> if i hadn't and he died i was drinking but you know things would be a hell of a lot different and i'm like 
you know, it's just I think about that all the time. I'm like, that is so fucking crazy that I've, all those years I had that massive problem and I finally stopped just before that crazy fucking thing happened. That is just insane. Yeah, and it's it just so crazy, man, to think like, what would what you know, what if that never happened, or what if you never went up to Aberdeen for the summer? Like it's it's, know, it's absolutely insane, man. Yeah. And it, it is one of those like you know, it, it's not just like a small thing in your life would have been different. Like your entire life, the next 60 years of your life fundamentally would be a different <laughs> existence. Like it's so yeah. massive. Yeah, I, I, I firmly believe I would be dead if I didn't stop drinking, going through the, yeah. grief, the grief of losing my dad 100%. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, but also as well, like what we, what we can't forget is like, it takes hard work. Like it's this, you know, that, yeah, okay. Fate, luck, I stopped drinking or what that you moved up to have been for the summer. But, you know, you we need to burst your arse after that point to make all the good stuff happen like you know working hard putting in the hours working two jobs at the one time you know training when you don't want to training when you'd rather have a drink or whatever you know it's it takes it takes constant mental and physical strength to keep going all these years later as well Mm -hmm. and i think that that's a really important thing there because i think a lot of people want change in their life but they're not really willing to put the work in and that's like i was saying in, in scotland there is a bit of a like a doom and gloom mentality and a lot of things and i think obviously you need to like tread the the line carefully you don't want the overly like tommy uh no what's his name the uh tony robbins the uh, yeah. <laughs> speaker like you don't want that because that's also just selling snake oil so yeah exactly. kind of like you need the middle ground of like uh, like actually working and working for something that you want because ultimately if it's if it's not actually what you want, you, you're not going to get up at five in the morning and go run in the snow. You're not going to stay up till midnight doing mobility work. Like you need to really like it has to like burn a fire inside you. And if you yeah. don't have that, it ain't the thing for you, unfortunately, yeah. whatever it is. Exactly. And you know what? When it, you know, looking at my work and my job, I used to I used to like base a lot of my social media around my clients fat loss um, change and transformations. But when you do that as much as i love celebrating people's success and i still do from time to time but i don't really do it often because when you do that people see that result or that change and they 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 message you because they want it but they don't actually want to work for it they don't want they don't want to change their drinking or they don't want to change the amount of takeaways they have on a weekly basis and uh, they just want to they just want that fucking five stone loss without actually thinking about the work so i'm like i stopped putting up that as much that because i was like the people that are contacting me from these pictures they don't tend to ever last more than a mm-hmm. few weeks or a couple of months yeah that's really responsible because i remember listening to i can't remember who your guest was but you're kind of going off on one about nutrition and why people just get the health and fitness so misaligned with their nutrition and i think that all kind of rolls together in that same idea is that if if you're trying to get the holiday body like your life is going to be a a, like a series of yo-yo with weight going up and down and you're never going to have a consistent healthy lifestyle because it's always losing weight for the next thing and then putting all back on hating yourself then losing it all again and it like other than the mental impact of that it's also really bad for your body to constantly be going in and out of that like shrink and grow sort of yeah. like diet series it's yeah really really un- unhealthy yeah we have to i i need to get it across at the start of like you know somebody come to me saying like man I, i'm really unhappy i want to lose a lot of weight okay i'm like okay we can do that however what we need to understand is that the things that we do to achieve this need to 
be going f- carried on for the rest of your life because you can't yeah. do you can't do a lot of work, diet and training to lose weight and then just go back to the way you used to live. Yeah. You, know, you can you can never sustain the healthy body or the healthy mind if you don't do that. So there has to be there has to be that you know that reality there of um, you know if if this if, if you hate training and you hate eating <laughs> healthy food, then are you going to be able to keep it going for fucking years at a time? Probably not. Yeah. Like you need to find something you enjoy doing or um, that you can actually stick to. But no, for sure, for a hundred percent. And have you seen a bit of a change in your your customer base or your clientele kind of being a bit more switched on to their nutrition side as well as their actual health and fitness? Uh, yeah, what I would say as well is that um, through not only not only because of what I said there in terms of um, people just wanting the result. Uh, for me personally, I have totally changed in terms of like my personal uh, outlook on aesthetics, what's healthy and what isn't. Um, the importance of training for mental health. Um, the importance of fitness and lung capacity over just trying to look good mm-hmm. so um and, and, the, and the gym i'm in at the moment is like the one of the one i've been in for the last two years oh, obviously i've been shot for most of the last year but that enables me to that enabled me sorry to change the way i train my clients to a whole different level and also do group sessions and build a community and uh i was talking to that i was talking to a client about this earlier actually and it's like there's still people that want to lose weight to have less body fat, to feel a bit better within themselves, to have more confidence, et cetera. But it's not like the top of the list all the time now. It's not like they're not, they're not like obsessing about dieting all the time because what we do now is we created a community where people love training and love getting stronger and love getting fitter and coming in and training with their friends. And so what that then does is that, it takes away, oh, fuck, I need to go to the gym or to, I cannot wait to go to the gym after work today yeah. um, because we've created this uh, atmosphere that people thrive in. And, that's amazing, uh, man. I think that's such that's a difficult like, thing to do. Like, that, yeah. like imagine, like, I, I feel like health and fitness is definitely on the rise as well as mental health in terms of people's, like, awareness of how much you do actually need it. But I feel like 10 years ago, there just, there wasn't such a big sort of focus on that need to get up early on a Saturday and like get your workout in or to stay up late on the Friday and get the workout in. And now it, it definitely does feel like people are putting that way more like as a priority over oh, yeah. whatever they would have done before. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And the thing is as well as I, and I, I totally agree with the fact that um, you shouldn't be sacrificing your training or your mental health just to like look a certain way, um, mm-hmm. you know, because just because someone's thinner or leaner doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be healthier. Um, yeah. So it's like, it's whatever works for that individual person. And, um, you know, it, what the most important thing is that they are enjoying their training, they're progressing with their training, they're keeping healthy, their lungs and heart health is just as important as how much body fat they have or if they need to reduce body fat or if they need to gain weight, need to gain muscle. And mm-hmm. whatever the client goal is, I'll help them, but I'll always try and steer them towards what I think is better for their mental health because like, I've had clients who tell me they want to lose weight and they just cannot seem to do the things that they need to do to do that and then it becomes a negative. So like they're coming into the gym, they're getting upset or... Uh, they are letting it affect their training 
Uh, and I'm like, look, this is obviously isn't good for you to do this right now. Let's just not focus on the diet. Let's just look at training. Let's look at getting stronger and improving your fitness. Eat as best you can. Don't like go and eat shit all the time, but stop focusing or thinking about food all the time. Focus on training, focus on feeling good and moving better and see how it goes. And then naturally they tend that tends to work and they tend to eat better anyway because they do want to progress in the gym and yeah, I just feel like it's uh, it's definitely a better way of looking at things. Yeah, absolutely. No, I but, think that's definitely but, right. But then I've got a guy, you know, I've, I've, I'll have somebody that comes to me and they'll be like, man, you know, they're they're 20 odd stone and they know that they're not in a good place with their weight and they're getting older and they've, you know, they're maybe got children that they want to be healthy for as they grow up and, and they, mm-hmm. they, they need to lose weight to ensure that, you know, their, their risk of cardiovascular disease, diabetes, et cetera, comes down. So mm-hmm. they're one-to-one and there's a big focus on diet and nutrition and, you know, getting them healthier and also fitter and stronger. So yeah, no, I love it, man. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's the best in the world. Like I think, like I was saying, unless you're doing something that you love that much, you're never going to work the big 60, 78 hour weeks. Like yeah. obviously it's unhealthy to do that like long-term, but if, if you wake up and you care about something, it, it's the, it's all you can ask for, like yeah. out of any industry, any part of life. If, if you don't have that, like I'm so lucky, like I wake up and I get to talk about music for a job. Like that's what I do. And it's, it's honestly, I would never trade it as much as it can be difficult, but yeah, I think having a positive impact on people, people's lives and making yours better at the same time it's like it's it's the winning combo no 100 percent, man and like especially as you know me and you if we both went through changes ourselves and how we have lived in our own health and our own fitness to, to and to know how that feels it makes it a lot easier to help other people because you've you you can basically tell them firsthand of what benefits they're going to be getting from doing it do you know what i mean yeah. And it's also real. Like that's something that I, I've got a lot of students that suffer with anxiety and depression and and like you name it, any kind of mental health condition. One of my students has it. And I think for me, I, I like to be candid with them and just say like, yeah, I, I have had, I've suffered from depression. I've got anxiety. I deal with the things you're dealing with on a daily basis too. And I think if they can see a real person that's actually had to work through that that makes it tangible it's not just someone in an app or someone on a screen saying do these things and you'll be better like an yeah. actual adult telling you that i think makes a big difference for sure for sure uh, you you said um that you went through a little bit of a mental health crisis after australia mm-hmm. yeah I've, I've had kind of um maybe two i think bigger ones in in my 20s um so let me try to get the timeline right so i had come so i'd met my wife in australia she's german moved to germany for a year so i was like two years out of the country and um at that point i would have been 24 i think and so that's kind of the age where you're kind of meant to start looking towards having some idea of what you're doing not know what you're doing but at least a direction and so yeah we, we moved to the uk and bunch of things happened tried to get jobs in the music industry didn't really work out for me uh, ended up being an events manager for a soft drinks company um, and that was really good got to work with MTV and do um, like a whole bunch of really cool festival work and I really liked that job and then it kind of got me a foot back into the music industry and then I started kind of um, working up from there to run in this business and so then I had started this um, management and um, I guess booking agency. And so I started working with a bunch of local bands. It was really good, built that up to working with, like I said, one of my favorite bands. And so I watch you. And um, 
and I was starting to just feel like a, a lot of like external life pressure, a lot of those like sort of like real adult things, like financial sort of um, constraints that came with running a business, touring, having all the kind of responsibilities of being like a creative person. And then also like, imagine how much you cared about your band, giving that to someone. And then that's my job now is to try and manage like your dreams. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. quite a lot of pressure. Um, so uh, yeah, at some point I, I basically just, yeah I was drinking too much at that point as well and then I I effectively just kind of went missing for an evening I uh, had this like kind of like psychotic psychosis sort of thing woke up we were living on the south side at the time so woke up in the old um old Victoria hospital that's kind of been knocked down now but in that hospital and yeah they were just like yeah you came in and um you, you were just uh like having an episode sort of thing and so then that triggered um a GP visit which then uh triggered like a series of counseling sort of sessions and that was just like the absolute flag in the sand that was like, yeah, you've you've got to change some things in your life. So I'd gotten all the physical part of my life better in terms of like I was running regularly, um, I was training regularly, and that was all really good. But I was really neglecting any kind of mental health or mental health care. And so, yeah, I just had this kind of really, really bad breakdown. I had to take three weeks off of life in general and just kind of like really like reassess and kind of recalibrate and kind of see what what I was why was I working so much and being so stressed? And ultimately, I think the idea of being able to say, yeah, I work in the music industry. This is what I do. I think that in the end is what kind of was never worth all of the kind of um, kind of kind of pain that I went through in the end or like the kind of breakdown that I had. It was it was never, you know, nothing's worth that, especially not, yeah. you know, a job. So, yeah, in the end, um, I, I got some counseling and um, I got offered like a medicated route for, um, well, the GP wasn't sure if it was like a form of bipolar or schizophrenia or just like a, a bad concoction of depression and anxiety. But um, I, in the end, it was a, like a, a bit of all of that. And uh, I, I didn't really want to go down the medicated route personally because I've I've just kind of got this inbuilt thing in me that I really need to like earn the things that I, I have. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with people going with a medicated route. I'm not saying that by any means, but for me personally, I wanted to kind of get to the cause of it and I have a more preventative sort of approach instead of um, kind of dressing something up that I would eventually have to try resolve in the end anyway. So, so I went through um, like a series of um, CBT, like cognitive behavioral therapy sort of programs. And then um, this same best buddy of mine that's popped up in the story a lot. He um, he he did so much for me. He, he did two things that like genuinely did save my life. Um, one of them was that he set up an email address and uh, he, he said that you can just write whatever you want in this. There'll never be a response, no judgment, but it's important that someone knows just anyone that how you're feeling and if if you're like in danger essentially um and so yeah that was like a like a live journal thing that i could just like put all of these like horrible thoughts and feelings into and it would mean that i'd never like have to act on it or stew on it for too long or whatever yeah. and um and that was like a, a really um yeah life-changing sort of thing for someone to do and he also bought me a book called manage your mind and um and i've given that to like hand a handful of my friends that have kind of struggled and it's um a mental health book written by three um three three people one's a psychiatrist one's a psychologist and i think one's just like a general doctor and um yeah it just basically talks 
through every kind of mental health situation you can have in, in real detail. And I spent a year reading that book, but um, yeah, that really gave me a lot of focus and a lot of ways to kind of deal with that. I got really heavily into meditation as well. Um, and that's when my running, funnily enough, it's always in crisis when my running gets really good. Um, I managed to get my, my distances up to like the half marathon sort of length and um, kind of working up to, towards more of that, like um, sort of like ultra training. Um, but yeah, so it, I mean, it's a long process. That's been like, I'm 32 now. I was like 27, I think roughly then. And it's, it's ongoing. Like I still get spells where I get like a few weeks of being really low. And then I get a couple of months where um, it's like overly, like I, I feel like if if you're overly on top of the world as well, like I've got this sort of like issue where I worry about narcissism. So I think if everything's going too well and I'm singing from the hilltops, then I feel like there's probably something wrong as well. So I need a bit of balance. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I guess it's just like a very long ongoing journey from that breakdown to like seeing the things that are going to trigger me, having some coping mechanisms and then making sure that um, I don't overly indulge in the things that can like reverse some of the things I've worked to get better. No, definitely. Well, well, first of all, thanks for kind of opening up and all that, you know, that's, you know, when people are sharing their stories, that's what's a massive part for people that are also struggling to hear and um, what helps people. And it's obviously can't be easy sometimes to talk about it. But yeah, um, what would you say at the moment is the things that keep you, could, you know, it's an ongoing thing, as you say, it's like not trying to like be like fixed or whatever one day. Yeah. So we, we always need to think of like, what can I do to kind of keep myself on on the right path here? What would you say the main things are that keep you from falling back into like a bad place? So I think this always depends on the personality type, but I'm I'm a person that always needs quite um quite a good schedule or a bit of a, a kind of routine of sorts. And so for me, it's like a morning routine. So I get up at twenty past seven every day, and then I do an hour of some form of exercise, whether that's calisthenics or mobility work or um, or going for a run uh, I'll usually make like a schedule at the beginning of the month and just stick to that week to week and so I need to do like an hour of that um, and then I need to eat well I feel like if I eat well and um, and I'm not really relying on alcohol or anything then that's just what kind of keeps me in the straight and narrow um, and and I also need to like not be like hyper focused so I don't need like if I'm working too much as well that's usually an indicator that I, I need to just like hit the brakes a wee bit so yeah. yeah I think a bit of routine a bit of exercise and having a bit of awareness about what's going on in your life those things tend to help me kind of stay on track do you feel like running makes you feel fucking high yeah absolutely <laughs> it is the best feeling in the world and um like I was saying where I live I'm, I'm so damn lucky like I live near um like a big mountain range called Benahee it's like the yeah. biggest thing in the northeast and um I've just been exploring every kind of trail on that on that hill and it's like small ones from like you know little 5k loops to like big 25 30k loops around like half of the like the the other side of it on the um on the, on the um not the Grampian side but yeah um so oh, I'm so I, jealous man so jealous <laughs> I live in I know, the south I, I side actually <laughs> oh dear yeah I, I really i'm so lucky and I, I yeah there's like a whole series of events that happened that made this really um work out but yeah effectively i was living in a one-bedroom flat in the south side before this i just miserable and if if i ended up not moving up here man my life would be just in the bin but um i running makes me feel unbelievably alive yeah it's just yeah, like it's because I, I find 
yeah I've, i find so much in meditating and in just like in like i really like primitive things like i like so me and my pals go camping quite a lot obviously prior to covid i do a lot yeah. of like backpacking sort of stuff and I, there's just something about a guy on his feet and just running like there's it's so old i read a book last um in in the first lockdown called born to run have you heard of it or read I, it i've actually got that on my audible um it's unbelievable yeah i've not totally, listened to it yet but yeah my get, get a listen it'll make you do ultras it's totally changed the way that i am um, i view running and uh, like tribalism and, and all these kind of things but Sorry, yeah, my cat's fucking about this ball it's making a stupid nice <laughs> Any carry on? <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's just um, just saying there with that book. It, it really kind of feeds into this idea that humans should be able to do that. They should be able to run for days at a time, and just talks to you about like the ethos of like barefoot running versus like a like a support shoe sort of thing. And I've went down like a big rabbit hole with that over the last few years as well. Yeah. So yeah, lots of. Well, that's how that's how I ended up doing Ironman. You know, because I uh, when I started training, it was all weights and you know the PT I got at the time was just like put me into a kind of bodybuilding. Oh God, she found another ball. Oh, <laughs> come on, try to do a podcast here. Um, you know, I pushed into the kind of bodybuilding scene and that's when I kind of only cared about six packs looking good and the relationship with food got a bit shit and all the rest of it. But by chance, I ended up doing triathlon for charity through my work at the time. And then, yeah, just as soon as I started going out those runs, uh, I just felt a feeling that I hadn't felt in the gym. And I loved the gym. I, I still do love a gym. I do CrossFit now, and it's unbelievably amazing, and it makes me so happy. But there's something just different to going out a run on my own with my music in. You know, I'm a very musically driven person and a very emotional person as well. And, you know, you know, I've found myself close to tears out running just through listening to a certain band or thinking about yeah. things in my life but happy happy tears you know um, yeah exactly it's so funny even if when it's you... sad tears it's still happy tears because i'm out running and i'm not getting pushed do you know what i mean yeah yeah totally I, I can't remember which guest you had on but i remember you talking about being at this point um in, in the iron man where you were just like bawling your eyes out on this run and it's man i've, I've been there as well on on like numbers of occasions just thinking about different things and yeah there's nothing else in my whole life that i get that same feeling from except playing on big big stages uh in front of lots of people and and I, I would say that if like if anyone like feels like they've not had that thing in their life that they just get excited by or that makes them get that like red hot feeling of like a, a weight on their chest being lifted off like go running like I know yeah, it's yeah. the most unforgiving sport in the world but once you get past that 5k being difficult it will genuinely change your life for the better it's, it's one of the best things Man, I've done Iron Man and I still think 5Ks are fucking difficult. But it's like <laughs> it's like pain, it's like physical pain but mental elation. But um yeah. but, but yeah, so so lockdown one, I ended up going down a total, you know, obsession with trail running and ultra running to the point mm -hmm. where I think I've watched every single documentary on YouTube and oh, amazing. Uh, love, love, love them all, love them all, man. Love love all the kind of people uh, um that put the documentaries up of their own journeys and stuff like that and I started basically so my friend who I don't know if you listen to the podcast on my friend Jordan who ran a marathon in Egypt he was a, he was in drug rehab and all that and then he came up yeah. doing it so he done 100 miles uh and uh last year um for the Amy Winehouse Foundation mm -hmm. and um that just you know inspired me so much and I was into the documentaries at the time so I started going out and increasing my my weekly um, 
kilometers and I I was loving it and I, I had in my head that I was going to train for a hundred miler. Mm-hmm. But the, but then kind of reality hit that I do want to get like elite at CrossFit and yeah, uh, it just can't, can't it just can't work, yeah. man. It just I was I was doing like thirty k on a Saturday and then or a Sunday and going into the gym on the Monday and just like <laughs> feeling like my legs yeah. weren't working and I was just like I need to. I think one day I will choose to take on that challenge because you know setting those massive goals. That almost seem impossible and inspire other people greatly is you know something that I love to do but I've got too much I want to achieve in CrossFit first before I do that. Yeah that makes sense I mean those those ultra sort of distances your body is you're effectively sculpting your body for a year or two before you even try one of those I mean yeah, most yeah. people so like the average age of a, an ultra runner I think is like 34 35 like that you know most people that are doing it like I guess Courtney DeWalter she's like the world champ she's just done the the 300 miler yeah. and she is I think 35 36 and it's like your whole your whole every single part of your body just gets absolutely annihilated for for the whole thing and funny you say that me and my buddy ian um we had signed up to the inverness ultra they've got an, an ultra up there where it's three loops of uh, of loch ness and um yeah we had signed up for it but covid had, had kind of binned it off That's but, shame, um, yeah but same deal it's like i'm, I'm kind of lucky because my body fat percentage is quite low because my my cardio is all running and, and endurance running so i'm kind of set up for that i don't really need any sort of fast not that i don't need but i don't rely on fast twitch muscle use i don't do crossfit i don't do things that generally need that kind of muscle recruitment it's very repetitive range of motion so you can kind yeah. of you know you can do like a year or two of like semi-long distance and then in your last year for an ultra really kind of bulk up the running distance and yeah it makes it a wee bit easier for sure that's my issue it's like i've spent a couple of years putting on a good bit of lean mass and uh, i'm 95 kilos at the moment and uh, i enjoy that because i enjoy you know getting stronger and i enjoy uh, you know as a guy i just like having bigger muscles man i'm not ashamed to say i'm not ashamed to say that Uh, so but my thing is like i like to prove people wrong and it's like i want to do a hundred miler but or, or like a you know, an, an ultra race, but not lose weight or like not lose mm. um, <laughs> any muscle. And I, I know, I know people that have done these races and they, and they have done it. It's, you know, it's just like, so you need to dedicate your life to it, obviously, because your recovery and your nutrition has to be like fucking priority and uh, sleep and all the rest of it. And it's obviously, I mean, it's like I'm single anyway, you know, I'm living, I live in a two bedroom flat actually in the South Side <laughs> with, with, my, with my two cats. So I can afford to be selfish about it uh, until, <laughs> until the point I maybe meet someone. But mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah, maybe in a couple of years it'll be, can I do a hundred miles and, you know, not lose too much or any weight? That would be a, a, be a crazy challenge. What, or maybe still do some CrossFit sessions in a week, something like that, you know? Yeah, no, that's what I've done with Ironman. I sacrificed doing my Ironman quicker because I was I was doing like four or five CrossFit sessions a week on top of the the endurance stuff. Um and I went from 91 kilos to like 90 and a half. So I actually gained I actually gained muscle in my Ironman training because I've done before nice, and after done before and afters. My shoulders were slightly bigger through the CrossFit mm-hmm. I just started CrossFit at that point and my legs were slightly bigger because of the the up the, the hills and the cycles and the leg strength yeah. I was doing. So yeah. yeah. It's, it's so cool. I, I would love to try an Ironman at some point once I get my, my swimming in a bit more of a good shape. So I do like quite a lot of open water sea swimming. Um, I saw on your that. Instagram, your picture, you had a wetsuit on and I thought you might. 
so good yeah like i said we live like a half hour from this like beautiful like clear crystal clear sort of part, oh, of, um, part of the coastline amazing. <laughs> so I, I, I try well i don't try i do i'm, I'm in there like four or five days a week uh, right usually, now? Or, no not at the moment yeah so usually from april yeah. <laughs> from april onwards it's still a bit kind of nippy at the moment but yeah i think once i get all my general fitness up to that sort of, of level I'd, I'd love to do that it's funny i've never done um an iron man and i've never done crossfit but i've obsessively watched both um both styles of competition for years I've, I've followed every version of the crossfit games and uh yeah i, I follow um lucy charles barkley quite heavily on instagram as well her and reese just yep. so inspiring i just i love seeing people just give everything they've got to something whether it's like music or sports or yeah whatever just i find it so impressive people can do that yeah you you 100 should if you enjoy the swimming and you obviously enjoy running you should 100 uh do a try even a triathlon at some point in your life and then mm. you'll probably enjoy it to the point you want to go bigger that's what happened to me anyway but yeah. it's such an amazing thing and the outdoor swimming is such a daunting thing sometimes times especially when it's maybe a cold or whatever but mm. just like just like the running the uh the feeling after an outdoor swim is something you can't really get anywhere else it's um i love it yeah because that lock, lockdown one one of my pals was training for his first iron man and i was his only friend that had experience at outdoor swimming mm-hmm. and i wasn't doing my, mine and chrissy's iron man had been cancelled at this point um and uh, he was like ask if i'd help him with outdoor swimming and deep down i was like oh can he really be fucked like the water <laughs> the water's the water's going to be cold like you know it's going to take a massive chunk out my day and blah 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 but um we when i when i at each time i went I, I left feeling just amazing and so happy that i went and done it you know it's just a, it's yeah. a great it's a great feeling man yeah totally and in the summer it's like where we live the sun is like i mean you're basically from like 11 in the evening until three in the morning is dark and then it's like light all the time so if um so i usually try and get down for like six or seven in the morning and it's just like so calm and peaceful and nobody around just like primal stuff like i was saying before i just love primal like you and nature and no phones no nothing just you enjoying your environment it's the best feeling ever have you ever do you ever run without music um i've started to do that a wee bit more actually yeah so um for the last i guess for the last like four or five years i've really been quite heavy on having something to listen to but um since i've been doing so much more mobility work and a lot more kind of um like breathing focused meditation i I try and get into a meditative state when i run and so by listening to what's going on around me i feel that that's a bit easier so um and also i was kind of experimenting a wee bit with um with heart so i like monitor my heart rate really closely um with all my exercise but i was toying with my heart rate um going up and down depending on the music that i listen to when i run and there's definitely a big difference when i listen to music when i don't my heart rate's like way higher when i'm listening and when i'm not okay um it's like good good five to six bpm slower depending okay. on the kind of pace yeah, I've always been a, a music uh, person because I'm like running, listening to music, like playing the air drums and like <laughs> fucking just loving it. But uh, <laughs> someone posted a couple of weeks ago, don't listen to music while you run. It's like time you're away from life and peace and quiet and listen to your surroundings and stuff. And I thought, you know, that may actually work. I might actually be good because um, especially with longer distance stuff, I think that might be an idea because when I was doing those longer distance ones, I started listening to like Bonnie Vare and softer music rather than 
uh, Slipknot and stuff like that. So it's a um, good show. I've I've tried both. Yeah, listening to like usual mm. metal sort of stuff, and then trying very like subdued sort of music. I've tried it with podcasts as well. Yeah, I don't like running to podcasts. I don't think. Nah, it's I don't think that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, but um, it, it's difficult for me because when I'm doing like my big distances, if I'm up to like 25, 30, 35 k sort of runs, when I'm getting to those last five k, that's when I really the music does get me through. Like I yeah. like it sounds so self worshipping, but I basically put on a frontier set from a tour and i just like relive the nights of tour and uh the end of that's our set always like yeah it's it's fun it's like the, the last night the last song of our set is always like a big crowd surf one so i'm basically just crowd surfing for five minutes and i i need that to get me through like the legs being numb and the breathing being out and like the pain in the feet like that's how i get through the last five or six k of a long yeah. run so i don't know if i could remove that i know yeah no de- de- music definitely pushes me through hard points but yeah i'll maybe experiment and see how it goes but uh mm-hmm. so yes yeah, so you do running mobility swimming anything else do you do, do you do, any uh, do do a bit of surfing um as well but it's kind of like you know at this age you've only got so much time and money to invest in things and um like you could just add on and add on to that so yeah, yeah i've got this like kind of bust up old surfing board that i've got from when i lived in australia actually got it shipped over um and yeah it's, it's not really the right sort of board for for surf here um, it's much more of like a kind of barrel um sort of like bigger wave board so yeah i picked up quite a bit last summer um and yeah i really enjoyed that it's, it's a really good general all body workout and and I, I, again, like quite a primitive thing. You're kind of just like sitting in the waves, kind of learning a bit about patience, learning how to read the water, kind of a lot of time to reflect and think. So I kind of, Amazing. I almost enjoyed the bits that you're not actually surfing as much as yeah, when yeah. you are like on your feet. Yeah, that's class, man. Um, okay, let's talk about music. Uh, this new record, you've kind of linked it towards uh, your kind of mental health and stuff. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. So. I guess like my my kind of journey with mental health is I, I need to I need to be like as honest as I need to be as honest as I can be because I think if you try and like dress up any of what you're going through it's hard to kind of get like a good solution to it so yeah I kind of um I think it must have been about August last year um my wife and I kind of suffered quite a big loss and I was just finding ways to like cope with it and my usual coping mechanisms have been to play in my bands which are usually very fast aggressive sort of like violent music yeah and and I kind of knew I wasn't going to be able to tour for the year and then I was just thinking of like right I've always made music that reflects exactly how I feel why don't I make music that reflects how I want to feel and so I was like yeah I'm going to make an uplifting really like joyous sort of ethereal record and that'll hopefully just like lift me out of this kind of spot that I'm in. And so I, I called the the project Lift and the, the name of the record is There is Beauty in Everything. And and it is reflective of, of what it means. I mean, I, I feel like I've I've managed to find the good in a pretty um pretty horrendous situation and I think it's really important to do that. It's really easy to kind of get bogged down in the kind of negatives of a life situation. But if, if you can find the, the beauty in it, then I think you can grow and learn and, and develop into something a, a bit stronger. And and this record is that it's, it's taking sounds that are kind of like atonal or maybe dissonant, turning them into something that's beautiful. And yeah, I've done a lot of kind of toying with um, like music theory in regards to like melody, harmony and, and rhythm and kind of playing those against each other. And yeah, it's, it's fairly experimental. I'd say if if you like um, like Bjork or Arca or uh, FK Twigs or any of these kind of more experimental electronic artists, then there's probably something in there that um, that people might like. What's uh, what's the release date? 
Um, so the record's out on the 7th of May, um, but the first single's out on the 16th of April, and that's the one with uh, Adam Betts. Um, I don't know how much is going to be online by the time this gets out, so I'll um, I'll have it in all the usual social media spots. But yeah, the Instagram for it's um, underscore Lift Music, and Facebook is Lift Official. But um, yeah, this Saturday is when all the social media goes online. So, Class. So, so excited to finally share it. It's been kind of sitting and sitting under the bonnet for like nine months. So. Oh, man. Oh, dude, I uh, I need some of that fucking inspiration. I uh, told myself I was going to finally start writing some songs again. And uh, I kind of have, but I see just trying to record. <laughs> it's fucking so hard. So difficult. Like, yeah, I've really never really, really yeah, I've never, I've recorded with a lot of bands, but just literally recorded. I've never um, really like, taught been taught or taught myself how to use garage band and stuff so mm-hmm. so yeah sure i mean i've got a couple of half songs there and i started kind of tracking some stuff but like it's just hard like i've got a friend who plays drums and he's like yeah i can put i'll put drums to just send this stuff across so i know i've got that sorted but i don't know i'm just like trying to track guitars and i'm like why is it so hard to keep in time yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> and, I know, and because like by nature as a creative you're so hard on yourself i'd imagine uh, the same that you hear one note out on your voice yeah, or for a guitar sure. thing and you just you, you hammer yourself for it so yeah, yeah I, I know the feeling but i think part of the part of the, the um struggle with this record is that i was the same i'd never produced a record before i'd never really used logic properly so th- this is the first time i've done it i mean i, I literally taught myself how to kind of use that as a tool instead of just record basic sort of crap um so yeah i really like invested the last like nine months heavily in learning the DAW properly and um and making something that wasn't just good for me but you know subjectively within the music world is a good record in in, in my opinion obviously well it sounds epic dude so you've you've obviously taught yourself well congrats on that it's, honestly it sounds, <laughs> it sounds class on um what about your other band then uh, frontier frontier yeah so that's um it, it's kind of one of those like weird internet sensations um in 2015 um, the first record came out, Orange Mathematics, and I wasn't actually involved in it at that point. But um, we just yeah, confirm the spelling for people so they know, because I think it's, yeah, it's so, different, isn't it? Yeah, so it's like the Final Frontier, but with an ER on the end, so Frontierer. Um, and yeah, there's no other band in the world called that apparently, so you'll, you'll find it. <laughs> That's good. Um, but yeah, effectively that record came out, and uh, it was just like the perfect mix of Dillinger Escape Plan with Meshuggah and um, a bunch of the kind of weird electronic stuff from like Aphex Twin, essentially. Uh, And it totally blew up on the internet. So I'm allowed to say this. I wasn't in the band at the time, but it it absolutely broke the internet. I think the day that it came out on Bandcamp, the sales figures were bigger than like Taylor Swift's Bandcamp for for the day that it came out. So it's like a really big deal in the math core sort of industry. Um, and yeah, so basically I played in a band with the guy that wrote that record called Sectioned. And then he was like, yeah, just, um, do you want to join the band? <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, absolutely. But it's, it's really technical, um, seven string guitars, loads of odd rhythms and polyrhythms and stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's just grown and grown and grown. So we've got a documentary coming out in, um, I think June sort of time and yeah we got a, a journalist from Canada came over and came on tour with us and made this really man it, it's so fucking self-indulgent but it, it just it's one of those like um 
like bucket list sort of things having like a journalist on tour with you making a documentary about you um and so yeah the, the band have done really well off that I've, I've um again had so many bucket list things i've been on rolling stone magazine i've had a total guitar of like full cover uh like i've had so much stuff through the band that's so cool pictures. man um and so yeah that is still very much alive it's just a wee bit paused due to covid but yeah, we had like Southeast Asian tour and Australian tour and we had so much stuff kind of like <laughs> lined up. Sick, and, man. Uh, <clears throat> got binned off massively. <laughs> so what kind of, what kind of um, ven- venue size crowds are you kind of playing to when you're touring? So again, another interesting part of that band is that because I was managing bands and tour booking when it kicked off, I did that. So I was booking all the tours and kind of doing the management with PED. And so, yeah, we've only ever headlined. We've never done anything else. So yeah, started out like a hundred cap, 200 cap rooms in the UK. Um, and then, yeah, everywhere we go, we kind of tend to just fill those out. So yeah, the biggest one uh, headline wise would have been London. And that was, um, where was that? Boston Music Rooms. And that was like a 600 cap um, last time we were there. But the festival appearances keep getting bigger and bigger. We headlined a tent in Arctangent, um, in the last Arctangent that was there. And it was absolutely insane. It was like a couple of thousand people, um, really, really fucking long, stressful day. Van Hire Company got set on fire the night before. So they what? had to like relocate a van, like a whole thing. But um, yeah, so pretty big. And then, yeah, that last European tour that we did, um, we were playing out in like Romania and like far Eastern Europe and we were like selling out and like signing like CDs and vinyl and stuff. And <laughs> like from a guy Gosh. from like the, the Tuchter end of Scotland, <laughs> you know, I've, I've totally like surpassed any expectations I ever had with music. So I just feel so lucky. Like it, it sounds quite cheesy, but honestly, I just feel so, so lucky to have done everything I have with music. And I owe it to a lot of people, you know, I've not done that on my own. And there's like so many people that have like, paved a bit of a way for me to kind of like let that be a big part of my life so it's been incredible oh, that's so cool though um must be some buzz playing in front of so many people it's wild i think it's not even the big shows that get me it's going to places like finland and like sweden and denmark and there's like a hundred people that want to talk to you and see your stupid band <laughs> like, <laughs> it just it just constantly blows my mind and it never there's literally never been a show where i've been like oh i can't be arsed today or whatever it's oh, for like, sure you know people have traveled to come and see us do stupid stage things so dude i always like i get quite upset and annoyed when i go to see a band and they look like they don't want to be there and i understand touring is difficult and they're away from families etc but it's like we're literally fucking paying your wage and like yeah. <laughs> uh you're this is your job it's like you know yeah, yeah. it's like and it, you're you're making a life of, of playing music you could at least look happy to be on the stage but i mean i guess it might have just been having a bad day or whatever but <laughs> yeah i suppose but I'd like you know i i just feel like you know I think you're so lucky and privileged and you should be like, you have an obligation to be as like, you know, as giving as you can be on a stage. And and I just think that if you're given that opportunity to, you know, someone in that crowd might have the worst day of their life. And the only thing that's going to make it better is the fact that you're there in front of them. Like, think about it like that. Yeah, man. And you'll never yeah. play a bad show again in your life. Yeah. It was a, there was a point where I, when I was like in heavily in my drinking and it was probably going to gigs was probably the only thing that was kind of, that 
I made me happy apart from getting pissed. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's as you say, you just don't know how you're changing someone's life, and it's kind of the same in my job. Some people tell me coming into trains like the best part of their day or the best part of their week, and it just you know, I, I, you know, it just means it means a lot, and um, it's a pretty cool thing. It is, man. It's inspirational. I think something, one positive thing, like I always try and see like the the beauty and everything, as I was saying, but I think one positive thing out of COVID is that people are much more open to just like do things like this. Like I would never have spent an evening talking to you on a Zoom call (laughs) being a thing, just a couple of mutual friends and and a love of music. But like, I think people are able to connect in a way now that it's making them be more vulnerable, be more honest and you know, want to communicate more. And I think that that can only be a good thing. There's no negative that can come from that in my eyes. hundred um, percent. Just another one back on the, the music stuff. Like how do you live when you're on tour? Is it, is it bad or are you quite good at staying away from alcohol and stuff? Or? I'm, I'm a lot better than I used to be. Yeah. So I guess like my, my first sort of tune experiences were when I was like 18, 19 with this kind of pop session thing. And there was loads of money in that. So yeah, I was just getting trashed all the time on that. And um and then the next kind of bunch of stuff I did, I was really like driving it. I was like the, like I, I wrote the music. I literally drove the band. I, um, yeah, I was the kind of leader of it. So, and I've always had that role in the bands that I've been in. So I kind of, I can't really, I couldn't have afforded it too much in, in that way. But um, yeah, I definitely drank loads when I was on tour before, but I guess in the last four years now, like I, I find the emotional investment in touring quite tiring. And if, if anyone ever sees videos of Frontier Alive, it is really like a fully sensory experience. Like there's not a part of me that's like left with much sort of cognitive ability. It's like a really immersive experience. So after like three weeks or a month of that, like I, I don't really have much emotional sort of bandwidth left. So while we're on tour, yeah, I really need to look after myself. So um, we're quite lucky in our group. We've got like three guys that are really into um, like a lot of like mobility stretch and running. So yeah, we've all got like a pretty good like warm up routine together. We'll do like yoga and a couple of beers. Um, we don't really have like any wild nights to be honest. We're all in our <laughs> all in our thirties now, um, and yeah, the time's too valuable. We all like our vocalist lives in America. That's like the other big thing about the band is that um, it's like an international sort of project. So you know, we only get together when we tour. So none of us want to be like hungover or hate yeah. life or whatever. So yeah, a couple of beers, but yeah, nothing too hectic. Oh, for sure. It's covered quite a lot, man. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about before we kind of wrap up? Not too much, to be honest. No, I mean, I just wanted to kind of touch on some of that music stuff and just share a bit of the old, um, the old life story with anyone that's interested. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of happy. Don't want to shoot it's, on anything that doesn't feel it, natural. It's been a great, it's been a great chat, man. Really, uh, really open, honest. You know, um, fits in really well with what I like to talk about on my podcast. So, That's it's been, fun. it's been epic. Quite, uh, just as you were talking about your live show, anything on YouTube at all? Um, there's loads on YouTube for Frontier, like literally. Yeah, for um, that. <laughs> live yeah, stuff. You can see. Yeah, you can buy uh, records. We've got T-shirts, I think. Um, yeah, Frontier or Bandcamp. Um, you'll be able to get stuff there. Um, if anyone wants to get a good uh, kind of version of what it's like live, um, there's full sets from like Budapest in Hungary. There's uh, a fully produced set from a festival in Nottingham. Um, yeah, just type in Frontier Live and you'll get basically me screaming at you. For oh, you vocals minutes. as well? No, I just scream. Just oh. loads, <laughs> loads of yeah, well, you sold the live performance to me, mate. So I'm going to be checking. I'm going to be checking that out, man. And uh, oh, if you really? if you ever play Glasgow, I will be there. Oh, nice. Hopefully we will. Yeah, the last one was in Hugging Pint. Actually, we, we oh, got was it? in there. Yeah, sold out, and it was 
horrendous. Just too many people. How long ago was <laughs> so, that? Uh, 2019. Yeah, that was the last last. Was, time we were there. was Chris there? Chris was. Yeah, him and oh, the Halo Tour guys. That's why, because he would have been. He would have. I would have been training him at that point. So he, yeah, we, yeah. We would have. We would have talked about that gig, man. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he was at it. I remember him coming up afterwards <laughs> and just being like. What? <laughs> what was the that? Hugging the pints of them, you go in and then you down the stairs. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I used to yeah. be the Roxy for anyone that's old like me. Yeah, I went to see my mate's band, The Recovery, in there. I think they were like releasing an EP or something. And then, uh, I quite a small venue, man. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Really good vegan food. Food in there is amazing. Is it still open? Uh, it's going to be reopening. Yeah, I spoke to their owner, Brian, quite recently. He runs. Um, or used to run Synergy, now it does 432 or whatever it's called. But yeah, he's got plans on getting that all yeah, opened up again. Somebody was telling there. me a venue, Great Western Road shut recently. I can't remember what one it was. But yeah, it's so much shame. in Glasgow. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm really like not looking forward to coming back to Glasgow in some ways because there's going to be so much shut that it's like all these great independent places. Yeah, and... yeah. I go in, it, I, I work quite close to town. I don't really go in at the moment, but I sometimes need to go in if I'm going to the bank or whatever. It's pretty, it's pretty grim, man. It's pretty depressing seeing yeah. so many empty shops and um venues and stuff it's uh aye, pretty, pretty sad but hopefully we can get back on back on our feet again yeah, when it definitely. all settles man well thanks so much i appreciate you taking the time and uh, we we'll, can't wait to get this up live yeah man thanks so much really appreciate you having me on and um i'll keep listening to the podcast you've got such an inspiring story honestly i don't want to fangirl too much no, thank but, you man yeah, really super super inspiring i appreciate that man no Take worries. care, dude. Speak soon. You man. too. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. Bye.